Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm your host, Technicia, and welcome to the Bright Side with Technicia. On this show, we deal with real-life issues where everything that may seem negative always turns into a positivity, and if not, there is still always a brighter side to everything. Here with me for a great introduction is Jody Prowl. She is the Embattled Woman's Champion. She helps women recognize that they have the strength to transcend family trauma and the power to disengage from codependency with those family members who are at the heart of the drama. Her mission is to help women recognize that love is the reason not to engage, that taking care of oneself first is not a betrayal or selfish. Making the hardest choices may seem to be cruel or childish, but in fact are healthier for all parties. Ultimately, loss in alcoholism, given so much it nearly cost her marriage and risk endangering her children's mental health. Her gripping and tragic story is told powerfully and honestly in her Amazon.com best-selling book, The Sun is Gone, A Sister Lost in Secrets, Shame, and Addiction, and How I Broke Free. The granddaughter, daughter, stepdaughter, daughter-in-law, sister-in-law, niece, great-niece, aunt, cousin, and sister to alcoholics. She understands what it is like to be caught in constant family emotional crisis and feel powerless. Today, Jody would tell us how she found the strength to make the painful and necessary decisions that restored her emotional equilibrium, self-respect, and protected herself and those close to her while never loving any less. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jody Prowse. Jody, thank you for time out with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Your story is powerful. It really enlightens a lot of people out here, most people wouldn't even have come forward to tell this type of tale. You know, we all walk around with a smile on our face, but we don't know what's actually going on in someone's life. What brought the 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 strength to actually write this book to tell this story? Oh, what you say, isn't that so true? Um, we do a lot of times walk around with a smile on our face. And we're hiding some of these things that go on. I mean, my story's about addiction, but lots of things can happen in this life that is so traumatic and it's affecting us and our families. And especially as women, right, we, we pretend we're okay. We're, we're supposed to be strong and we're supposed to look after everybody. And, you know, when I had right. alcoholism on, on so many branches of my family tree and I'd seen it my whole life, but... My brother, my younger brother, my best friend became so, so severely addicted. I didn't think anyone would believe that alcohol could do this. And then after I wrote my book, you know, what I really realized is um, we only sometimes hear of the success stories. And I think we can also learn from the stories where um, things didn't work out. I mean, we're not going to cure cancer, are we, if we only concentrate on what works and we don't concentrate on what didn't. And I really just wanted to show the world of, of maybe why some people aren't, aren't staying sober and aren't getting well, and it would help other families. And you just said it. like I think there is a choice in addiction, and the choice is that we can turn even the, these saddest stories into ones of hope and 
uh, love and forgiveness and and positivity. Right, and and as far as you probably have experience, and I know of myself that a lot of people can cope with and not trying to put someone's business out there, but I dealt with a young lady on my job who had the same issue. Come to work, almost cost her her life. She left one day, and I was just so fearful because I could tell that she was under influence. Left one day from work, got in her car, and she sped off. And next thing I know, they said she was in a car accident. I felt so guilty. Um, and that's what I want to ask you, Jody. Was there any point in your life while your brother was going through this that you have any guilt brought upon yourself? <sighs> when you talk about guilt, I think it's the number one emotion, you know, that people have. And, and I think that really propels you when you make um, choices that, that aren't maybe necessarily good for your loved one, right? I think with me, you know, my brother sadly lost his battle with alcohol addiction in 2012. And so our journey really was 12 years of severe addiction. And he really did, uh, his alcoholism took control of every aspect of my life because I love him. He's my little brother. I remember him being two years old and, and all those things. And about six years in, it You know, I couldn't get out of bed, and I was not going to work, and I had let my own little sons witness things they never should have seen. And it was actually, you talk about guilt, I just finally realized that, you know, I think some of these things I'm doing is allowing this to go on. It's it's enabling my brother. And so I found the strength uh, in 2006 to draw a healthy boundary and I would only see him if he was sober. And, you know, sadly that meant I, I didn't really see him for the last five years of his life. Um, but it's the one emotion I don't have now is guilt because I know I did the right thing. And, you know, I'm still left with a loss and re- regret, right? I think regret is different than guilt. I, I wish I had done things differently. But... That guilt I do not have because I let my brother know his only option was sobriety and recovery. You had to be straightforward with him. Hey, look, this is where you need to do. This is where you need to go. Because that, no no offense, I I try not to be offensive, but, I mean, you can't burden me with those types of issues. That's, like you said, that costs you your marriage. That brings your family down when you're worrying about someone's other issues, especially when it becomes a family member. That burdens you. That makes you stressed out. So I'm glad to see you at this point in your life where you're capable of just giving us this story and know that anyone can overcome this, regardless if it's you as an alcoholic or you're dealing with someone who has this issue. Um, How did you actually – let's go in a little bit more detail. How did you find that strength to just disengage with your brother and to and stand just strong against your mother and sister. Yeah. Well, it had been it had been six years, and I thought I had control. At first, I thought I had control. You know, I don't drink. I haven't drank in 25 years. I lead a healthy life. I I took different lessons from childhood, and so I I just I I just wanted to do things differently. I'm not perfect by any means, but. Um, I really did find the strength because, you know, six years in, nobody was changing. Nobody in our whole, and that's where I say, you know, we focus so much on the person that, that's addicted that I don't think we see that maybe all of us around are doing things to help perpetuate the problem. And nobody was changing. My brother wasn't changing, and my family wasn't changing, and I wasn't changing either. But I really started to pay attention to what the therapists and things were saying to us. And I, that's where I got, I got my strength. I thought, you know, when, when our loved one and when my brother goes off to, to, to a rehab center, he's supposed to listen to what they tell him to do. And I finally thought, you know what, I'm supposed to listen too. And it certainly doesn't mean you abandon your loved one or you don't help or any of those things, because I would do all that if, if I could go back. 
but I would do it more in a healthy way. And I realized, you know, I I really was an enabler and I was part of the problem. And And I just thought, if everybody doesn't change, my brother is going to die. And so that that's where I got my strength. And And I am telling you and everyone out there, it's against what your heart wants you to do. It really is. But sometimes you have to find that strength and your loved one needs to stand up and take control of their own life. Exactly. I agree with you totally. You know, I was just thinking about the fact of when you said your brother was about to die. I was remember when I read the prologue of your book and how you told the nurse, look, if you, if you don't like what you do, you know, if you don't like what you see, fake it. And Yep. And I think that's what we were talking about at the beginning. We fake we fake it. We walk around here and we think that we're doing good, but we actually fake it. We we smile and we pretend and we shake your hands and no one knows on the deep inside that you're going through all this. But I, I when I read that part, I said that's a woman who loved her she loved her brother. She did love her brother. I don't care what you got to do. This is your job, and and I feel like that in my job. It don't matter whether you like it or you don't. If you don't like it, move on. But in the meantime, you need to put that smile on your face. You need to do what's got to be done. And I said, this right here, this is a powerful woman. This shows her character right here in the beginning of this book. She didn't sugarcoat nothing and didn't bite her tongue either when she said, I said, I love this about Jody. I said, I love this about you. When I read that part, I said, yes, get her. <laughs> and and first, thank you, because that really does mean so much. And especially, this is a hard story to read, but I wanted it to be true. You know, most books right. um, are just a little piece of it, right? And most books, most memoirs on addiction are, are written by the addict in recovery. With this, I wanted you to see the whole story. So it is when my starts when my brother and I are two and six, and all the way to the forties. And you take, you're on the journey with us every step of the way. And a lot of the things you will read and you will learn, oh, they're so sad and oftentimes very disturbing. But this is what's happening in millions of families. This, this is what is happening behind closed doors. These are the secrets we're keeping. And I just really believe those secrets and the shame, that is just going to keep families and our loved ones sick. And and that's my motivation. And, um, you know, my brother didn't make it, but, oh, I loved that little boy that grew into a man. And, um, you know, I just hope it inspires other people to make the changes they need. And that goes for everyone in the family. Right, that really, that touches you so many ways we want to say we do we do want to save them and I'm my condolences to you and your family because I know it's still a it's still a process no matter how long it has happened or how many years ago it was it's still a, always a process of a void somewhere that's left in all of us when we lose a loved one even to that um Jody why, why do you see this book as importantly applying to those who have other kinds of family drama besides alcoholism? Well, when I wrote this book, I really did. It took me three years to write it. And so for the first two years, I did cry in front of my laptop screen and had to relive all those memories over and over again. But I really thought at the time, this is just a story of my brother. This is a story of alcoholism. And then until the last year when I really started becoming more enlightened and educated and understanding. And I continue to read books. I have really learned that, first of all, this isn't his story. After all, it's mine. And I've learned that childhood, um, things and traumatic events and, and things that we witness, it can cause addiction and mental illness issues later in life. And then I also just realized just about some family dysfunction or family patterns that are going on that I didn't see before. 
And if I had known all that, maybe things, or and if we had known all that, maybe things could have worked out differently. But, you know, by talking to other people, when the minute I start talking about my story, people start saying about how sad they are and the struggle, let's say, their loved one has Alzheimer's or they had watched their, their friend or their mom or dad pass away from cancer. That loss is, and that pain is the same regardless of who it is or what it is. And, and so I do think this book, um, it brings people together and just knowing someone out there knows how you feel. Right, and I'm, I know this book is definitely going to take them to that extreme because it, it really is. It goes into every detail, every chapter is a little bit of going into your life, Jody. Even even at the time with Bobby, um, now Brett was dating a young lady named Bobby. Um, how did their relationship go? Yeah, like, you know, People think, oh, someone might choose this life or, you know, it can never happen to me. And I'm just here to say that's so incorrect, right? No one plans to become addicted to drugs or alcohol. You know, my brother was just like any other young teenager, right? He started having some drinks with buddies when he was in high school. And he had everything going for him, right? He was smart. He had a great job. Early on in his early 20s, he, he had a beautiful, you know, girlfriend and, you know, she had had a son and he was raising her as, as his own. And those are the things that still, you know, five and a half years after he's gone, it still does make me cry because it, it's like he was so happy and just could have had a magnificent life, right? And, you know, that relationship ended in, um, you know, when he was in the middle of his 20s. And, and I think that was part of the, the beginning for him of dealing. He didn't sort through the pain of losing that relationship and losing that child and, and of course, you know, started drinking because sometimes that's what people do, right? You have a few cocktails and it eases that pain. And unfortunately with my brother, he would become addicted to it. Incredibly sad, incredibly sad. And But, you know, 250 million people worldwide um, are addicted to alcohol. One in seven in the United States um, will develop substance use disorder at some point in their lives. Isn't that staggering, that number? And so I just, I just want people to be aware of the dangers. No. That's a very important. We do. We need to know the signs to um, if someone is an alcoholic and how to prevent it and what to say and probably what not to say because you don't want to offend them in a way where it actually tears them down and leads them into more destruction. I was yeah. I, while I was reading the, your book, um, I noticed a chapter on aneurysm because one of my coworkers, her mom, went through that and thank God she um, made it through, but. What What is that chapter really on? Because it, is it really on aneurysm or is it talking more in, into about Bobby and Brett's relationship at that time? Because I think at the part is he led you into a room where he went to an um, a AA claim. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, well, first I'll say, you know, all my chapter titles are um, my brother's favorite um, songs. You know, he didn't like television, and so when I'd go to his house, there would just be music playing in the background. And so, um, you know, at the time, I didn't understand. It was like Kurt Cobain from Nirvana or Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon, and these songs just seemed so dark and depressing, right? But I see now that, you know, I think he related to the angst of some of these rock stars and some of their struggles. And I think my brother was too shy and quiet to say anything. And so that that was a tribute to that. But, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, in that chapter, when he was, I think, 21 years old, he asked me to, to um, do a favor for him. And we did favors all the time. 
And so we got in the car, and I was all excited, like, where are we going? And we went into this room, and I didn't know where we were. And at the time, like, my brother didn't drink any more than any regular young person, than any 21-year-old. And, you know, we sat around a table, and these people seemed to know each other. And one by one, everyone started talking. And then they got to my brother, and he said, Hi, my name is Brett. I'm an alcoholic. And I still remember. That was over 25 years ago, and my whole life collapsed right then. And I just sat in my chair gasping for air. I couldn't breathe and just cried and cried and cried. And um, I think... I think back then he just acknowledged maybe, and I guess I don't know what he acknowledged because I didn't really talk to him about it, and that's one of my regrets. Um, why didn't I talk more in detail about what he was feeling, and why did why at that time at 21 did he think he was an alcoholic? And But I didn't mention it again to him for six or seven years, and um, by then it had really gotten a hold of him. Well, before we actually go into the next question about women being fixtures and everything, what are the last, what what is something that you would like to tell Brett right now, if he was still here, Jody? Oh, that I just always believed in him, that, you know, he could have done this. And, um, and I hope he knew that in his last moments, because um, I believe he could have done this, and the unfortunate part is um, just not on his terms and um, and and how much I love him and but I think he I think he knows that <laughs> I think so I think so too, and I know he's at peace spiritually at peace, probably yeah to know that his sister is here, and she's sharing this wonderful strong. I'm saying it it does it brings tears and and not because i'm i'm i am I'm an emotional person but i this this really is a touching it's a touching memoir i mean the fact that you took out your time it took you a while to get there but you you took out your time to bring awareness and that's a hard thing to do because it was your personal life only you went through this nobody else could tell you everybody's story is different when they're dealing with alcohol alcoholism so this is her story and I hope people can understand that um, but Jody in your opinion why why do women feel they they have to be the fixers the caretakers to the determine uh, um, the detriment of themselves and their own values self-respect and self-protection well you know my eyes are so much wider now when I look at the world right because of this experience and I have so much more, I think, empathy and compassion to others. And I even, I look now and you see little kids and little two-year-old girls or little three-year-old girls. And what do most, almost all of them have? Little dolls under their arms or they're pushing their little babies in, in, in the little strollers. So most of us are born that way, right? To look after others and to care for others. And, and then we grow into into adults and we grow into young women and eventually most of us become moms and so that's what we do right we put our needs last and that is what I did for a very long time you know when when you read my book and you read about what our childhood was like and and me having to be the protector and look after my little brother I loved him like he was my own son and so it affected everything about all my choices because I just thought it was my job. And, you know, I, I do know now, like for anyone, that saying no um, can be the kindest, most compassionate gift we can give our loved ones and ourselves. You don't have to feel guilty and you don't have to feel bad that you say no to a family member. Um, that there are some things they have to do for themselves. And I think that's hard for us because not only do we feel guilty, sometimes our family members make us feel guilty. 
Right. That's a burden that everyone has to take on when you dealing with a situation like that. I can't even imagine. I never actually had a, I, not that I know of, a family member that actually went through that circumstances as far as I know with one of my coworkers. And it's, it's very, it's, in, it's a danger. It endangers other lives as well as that person. There's no joke out there. People take it as they take it too kindly. And a lot of times the person who's going through it, they're in denial, first of all. It takes them a while. Because the young lady, yeah. she still is doing it to this day. It's not something that, that they overcome. You want them to get the help, but at the same time, like you was trying to tell your brother Brett, you have to want it for yourself. I can push you. I can take you to as many classes as I want. I could probably tie you down to this bed. I could throw every ball away. But by the end of the day, you have to make that decision for yourself to get the help. Get the Absolutely. help or else I have to. Right. I have to move to the side. If if you can't get the help, then I have to move to the side. And and I think it was best that you you ended up doing that. You did all you could. That's what I can say for you, Jody. Just reading through your memoir, you did what you could as a sister and that's a big that's a big role. When people don't be understanding us sister, we have a big role too. Our part plays a biggest part. We're nurturers. As women we are, we're the nurturers. We was brought into this world to be nurturers. Yeah. We was brought to bear children. That's what we are. That's why we're the way that we are now. We're the loving and caring. Sometimes we get too emotional. We're emotionally emotionally attached, and that's what it was for you and your brother. You was emotionally attached. First of all, that's my brother. I'm not going to see him struggle, but at the same time, you got to know how to hold yourself up too. But, um, yeah, it is. It, it's, it's a burden, and I, I'm listening to to it, but you are a courageous woman, and I will, I will have to say that most, first and foremost, you are very courageous, Jody, for what you have done. And I'm hoping people today get this, get Jody's book. And at the end of the show, we will also tell you where you can get purchase her book from other places, and not just only Amazon. Um, Jody, before we even go to commercial break, um, I want to ask, how can they break away from these old patterns? As, as being women fixers, we've been the caretakers and, and everything. Yeah, well, I always say therapy saved my life. And there was a difference because I had went to some therapy classes with my brother on numerous occasions, but but I was always there, what, is my, what does Brett need to do? What does Brett need to do? I think the biggest change for me in my whole life and has made me healthy now is I finally went to therapy and said, no, forget my brother. What do I need to do to be healthy? And so that really was just the complete metamorphosis in, in kind of who I am. And, and it's been a journey. But I always do say that a lot of people can't afford private therapy. Right now, today, my when I, I don't go very often, but maybe every six months or something when, when I just feel I'm not quite right. But, you know, it's $190 an hour, and not everyone can afford that. So there are books out there you can get, and books on codependency, and books on addiction, and books on toxic relationships, or um, things if your child is addicted. And you can go on the Internet and read articles. And so there is all that help out there. And you just have to look for it. But, you know, it's the same thing as I would say to my brother now. All that knowledge and all that availability doesn't mean anything if you're actually not prepared to do the hard work and change. And I think that goes for all of us as well. It it takes Hard, hard work. It does. And that question, that question probably will always remain, what causes a person to just go to this drinking addiction? What causes that? What is it? Is it emotionally? Is it spiritually? We never will actually get down to the bottom of it. But what we will do, we will have further discussion with Jody Prowse. We will finish talking about her book, The Sun is Gone. So please 
Do not take that down once you stay right there. You're listening to the bright side with Technica. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog Talk Talk Radio, baby. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at doihaveprediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to. Nope. I'm sure you've got a perfectly good excuse. Kids, work. (laughs) I get it. You're busy. So what better time than now? Let's begin. Raise one finger if you're a man. Ladies, none yet. Oh, count in your head if you're driving. Now, three more fingers for everyone over 60, two over 50, one over 40, one more if you're not physically active, another finger if anyone in your family has type 2 diabetes, another if you've got high blood pressure. If you're overweight, raise another finger, two if you're very overweight, and three if you're really overweight. You've just taken the world's first audio pre-diabetes test. And if you're holding up five or more fingers, visit doihaveprediabetes.org or talk to your doctor. There's no excuse because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. All right, we're back with Jody Prowse, and we've been talking about The Sun is Gone. This is her memoir and dedication to her situation that she went through with her brother who was dealing with alcoholism. and so big, he did not make it, but he is teaching others how to be strong and how to overcome that and endure the hurt and pain and turn that into a fight, a fight that we must all notice around us. Notice if you see someone going through this, please reach out to someone for help. Listen to this show, and if you listen to the replay, share it with others who need to hear this message. Please do that today. I repeat. Share this message with others, and I'm going to make sure you share it with others because I will make sure it is repeated over and over because I know someone is going through it, and I'll be done if I stand by and let them end up going through this destruction alone. Um, Jody, how, how do you come to grips with just taking care of yourself when it's perceived as being selfish, uncaring, and cruel by the people you are saying no to? Yeah, like when I, you know, I explained why I had to deal that healthy boundary. I mean, on every level, I didn't feel like I was going to survive this. I mean, I was going down with my brother. And so out of love, I did draw that healthy boundary. And unfortunately, um, that meant to some of my closest family members that I was abandoning my brother. And I was deserting my family. But... I had I had to do it, and it was what was best for him. And, you know, I tell a story in the book, and I, and I think this will resonate with people that are going through this and what it is really like. My brother uh, cut his wrists one day and showed up at my house, and my 14-year-old was home alone. And so I talk about everything that that entails, right, what my 14-year-old would have had to do and and you know, um, I went to the hospital and I got home late that night and it was dark and I walked in the house and my husband sat silently on the couch and he got up and he looked at me right in the eyes and my husband said, you raced to the hospital to make sure your brother was okay but you didn't even call home to make sure our son was okay. And that is what it is like. You are pulled in opposite directions from this is affecting everybody. And, you know, I I never even talked to my young son about it. I certainly never got him help for something, an event so... Um, upsetting and catastrophic that that might affect my son in his adult life. And so I would do that different. And so I would have set that boundary long, long before. It wasn't okay that my sons were seeing some of these things. 
but it's that love and that feeling that your loved one, you know, I thought my son was looked after, his daddy will look after him, and my brother's going to die. And so that's, that's where what propelled me to make some of those um, unhealthy decisions. And I see that now so clearly. But that's why you need help, don't you? Exactly. Because we figure in these situations when we're dealing with alcoholic person, we figure that they can stop on their own. And yes, they are supposed to be corrected and be able to stop, but that's the thing. They take that first drink and of course they rationalize and oh I meant to do this, just one drink, that's it, and one drink turns into two and here they go. They they rational their rationalization still covering up that waterfront, everything you probably ever heard of. But throughout the throughout your memoir you and your mother actually had a disagreement. Um, can we talk a little bit about that, Joe? Because this disagreement was in regards to Brett, um, I believe. So she wanted Brett to do this on his own, and you just was not on the same page with her. Yeah, well, and it's hard to know what exact <laughs> um, incident you're talking about because my mother and I, um, I think, we're, constant, we're constantly at odds. I think this is and, the part where she ended up paying thousands of you were telling her you paid thousands of dollars and you're you're leaving it up to him to make these decisions. What was yeah. going on at that time? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, throughout the book, um, that is what happens to families, isn't it? I mean, it my whole thing starts with um a quote from the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, where it does say addiction is a family disease and it stresses families to the breaking point and it can disrupt family life and ruin relationships. And that is very much what happened, I think, in our story. And um, I became estranged with, with, of course, my sister and my mom. But at that particular time, this was years in, and, and Brett was at rehab for 90 days and wanted to come home 30 days early. And for the second time, my mom was just in support of that. And I'm not saying, again, it's not about trying to control, but when you tell your loved one, I'm in support of that, then that's what they hear instead of just saying, yes, of course, you can come home 30 days early, but you're not living here and you're going to have to get home somehow or, you know, in my brother's case, he didn't even have a home. And I think I did that okay. for a long time. I didn't even, I did that for a long time as well, right? That you're supportive in their decisions, even if you don't say it out loud. But when you help them, and so when they're doing things that ultimately are killing them, um, you can't right. support them in, the, in those decisions. And y- you can't. Okay. Because what happens? It allows this to progress. It allows the disease to right. get worse. Right. And now I'm understanding, okay, at that point in time, she wanted to help him, but you're not helping him. You're spending all this money. And as you said, you were... You were invested all your time, and now you're telling me you're going to leave that up to him to make his own decision. He has no right to make his own decision. So now I understand, right, not if not if we're going through this, what rights do he have? He lost those rights to think for himself to do whatever he wants, that he has this issue. So, yes, I, I would have been furious, too. No matter what, sometimes yeah. we have to put our foot down, even if, even if it's our own parents. Right. I, I'm on the same page with you on that. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I'm estranged from my parents to this day. And I, you know, I wow. say it at the end of my book, I send them nothing but love and happiness in this world, and, and I'm sorry for their loss. Um, but, but, you know, I hope this brings families together. And, and even maybe if they read it and they've lost somebody, that they to agree to disagree and to stay aligned as a family. And, you know, right. my, brother, my brother would have wanted that, right? My, my brother would have wanted this to bring us closer together. But I think it takes a whole 
everyone in the story to say I'm sorry and everyone to say I wish I, I wish I'd done things different. Not guilt, but geez, we all learn from life lessons, don't we? And that's that's what I say. Right. I wish I wish I'd done some things differently. And and I'm not ashamed to right. say that. Right. It's not a blame. It's not a blame game. Let me point the fingers this way or point the finger that way. It's just it's just um, owning up to it. You know, hey, I need to. I sh- should have done it this way, but now I'm saying I'm reflecting back. It's not the way that I should have ever done it. You know, and I hope it works out for you and your parents one day that you actually coincide your differences and you come together. Um, Jody, um, in, in this, because I know someone's probably out there wondering this and, and they're going through it, and I know you probably you, you pinpoint on a little bit. How do you not blame yourself if the ultimate tragedy happens? In your case, your brother's father declined eventual loss of life due to alcoholism. Maybe someone else's family member ends up living on the street, and, and we see that today with the ho- homelessness uh, statewide, nationwide, really now. Oh, absolutely, and it's the number one comment I hear is, I cannot let my loved one be homeless. And, you know, I just always think to myself, if my brother was homeless right now, he'd be alive, and maybe that would be his final, oh, my gosh, this is so bad, and I need to do the things I need to do to change. And... You know, I just tell everyone, just get help for yourself and listen to the advice of the professionals. There is a reason why I, and it, and again, it doesn't mean I still don't have bad days and I still don't have regret and I am not sad and dealing with loss, but, but blame, no. Just one, one answer and the answer was change and sobriety and recovery. That's that's the only option I ever gave him. And so I can live with myself knowing that. And to everyone, not everyone makes it. And you have to accept that as well. And, you know, I I see lots of people talk and, and who have lost a loved one, and it affects their their faith. It affects their belief in God. They very much, some people really hold on to anger and blame. And I just try to tell them, I use this story and I turned it into the complete opposite of that. And that is turning the loss of of your loved one into something positive to help other people. And I just think that is a beautiful way, beautiful way to remember them. And wouldn't they have wanted that? So for anyone that has lost someone that is still stuck in grief and shame and blame and just turn it around and talk about your loved one and be proud and use that story to help someone else. I think this is going to help them to gain that perspective too, Jody. Um, and just wanted to point out that, you know, it, it like I said in the beginning, it's an illness and we can't, you can't really cure, but you can bring that person to a long-term sobriety and abstinence with the appropriate treatment, I believe. And and just pointing out that they don't choose to behave the way they do. This is something that's in them, you know. It's been reprogrammed by the drugs they've been abusing it and using. And we have seen it through news stories with some of our celebrities, uh, Robin Williams. Johnny Depp has dealt with alcohol alcoholism, uh, Mary J. Blige, you know, the list goes on and on, these people out here, and, and we know bigger than alcoholism is, is heroin. So we don't know what is going on, and all these people that's going through these, these celebrities, they're doing the exact same thing, they're covering it up, this waterfront cover, doing all the music, all the movies, they just show that they're happy, and they're not actually happy. There's got to be some type of unhappiness for you to end up doing it. You, you can't really tell me that you are happy doing it because there's no possible way. I, I wouldn't want to kill my liver alone. You know, it's 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 got to be something. It's to me, it, besides being in it's, it's something mentally 
It's not something you just go and say, let me pick up this bottle and I'm going to drink this whole bottle of Hennessy. No, it's, this is something mentally, emotionally going on. And like you said, Jody, you wish that you would have gotten down to the bottom of it, the nitty-gritty, and find out, Brett, what's the actual problem here? But I know you never had got that chance, but this is why she's sharing this memoir with you guys today so you can get that chance. And talk to your family member. Find out what's really going on. Is it sexual abuse? Is it, is it someone doing something to you? What's, what's going on? Talk to that person. Get a grip on it now before it's too late. Because you don't want to be your last words and say, oh, well, I, I should have did this, but now you can't. Um, so I want to go into defining enabling and codependency. Jody, give us the definitions of those. What's the difference between them? I didn't know what codependency was, and I certainly didn't think that was me. And now that just seems so crazy because, oh, my gosh, I'm a complete codependent. And, and not how just do, with my brother, you mean? but with other family members. Pardon me? Okay. Oh, I was asking, and, how do you mean that you was a codependent? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's being in dysfunctional relationships. Your relationships are one-sided. Okay. You're a people pleaser. You have poor boundaries. You're a caretaker. And you sacrifice your own needs to help others. And, you know, my, I, I say that we're too hard on ourselves sometimes as women. I still, through therapy, I've really, my brother's, you know, been gone for five and a half years. But I still do those things once in a while with other people. And then I just step back and go, no, I'm trying to be a better, healthier person. I, I'm not that girl anymore that I have to look after everyone else. Um, and, and sometimes I do. I still fall back into those patterns. My goodness, I've been doing it since I was six years old. Wow. That's amazing. Look how young you were. Yeah, yeah. No one, no one, no one sat down. Yeah, no one sat down with the little six-year-old girl and said, "Okay, Jody, you're responsible for us." But some of the, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home when we were young, and there was fighting and chaos and commotion and leaving the house in the middle of the night, and I'd have to get my little two-year-old brother ready in the dark and and make him feel safe and and. People in my family did always come to me every time they had problems, and, and they didn't my whole life. And, and you know, I didn't even know I was doing it. It was just such an unconscious behavior for me. And, and that's why, you know, I say in my book, um, you know, to say no to my family, like to say no to my mom or my sister or my brother. What? It's not, not that I, I, I never knew I could say no. I, I had no idea I was allowed to. And, um, you know, I, I was 39 years old before I figured that out. Wow. And you, Jody, I will say, I will have to call you Jody the Protector. You've been a protector all your life. But now the question falls back, who's been protecting Jody? <laughs> who's been looking out for Jody all this time? You've been, you've been the backbone of the family, and it started at six. You had to endure all this, and they didn't even know what was going on until you got older. Wow. You are amazing, a courageous woman. It's time for Jody to start learning about Jody now. You are down. You have done your part. God sends us down here for a mission. A lot of times we don't know what our mission is, but that was your mission. Think now your new mission is to worry about Jody. Because if Jody leaves, what what everyone's going to do then? You know, that's how I see it. If Jody leaves, what are you going to do now? And now you sound like my therapist. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and that it, that's it exactly, because when you do feel responsible for other people, and right. I very much, that's why I sacrificed my own husband, my own children, because I felt responsible. I did. I felt responsible for my mom and my brother and my sister. But what I know now is, we do not control anyone else's life, just our own, don't we? No, we just our no, own. No, we can't and control even, anyone else. No, no, and it's it is. It's a painful thing to come to that realization, but it's also a healing mm-hmm. thing because imagine the weight lifted off my shoulders now. 
of I'm only responsible for my life and how my life goes, and and I know that now. Right. And uh, and it doesn't yeah. mean I love my family any less, but but right. they're you in just, control. You had to make, right. You had to make a move that was going to benefit you in the long run. That was going to wear and yeah. tear you down. That might end up deteriorating your life. You know. And people do look at, oh, well, you're being selfish. No, I'm not being selfish. But if I keep going, I won't be here much longer either because you wear me down. This is a ton on my shoulder. But I'm glad now you woke up to that and you see, and you see that. Now, what what would you actually say is probably a step maybe a woman could take today to, be, to begin the path to living life on her own terms? I think the biggest thing is being brave and courageous and really accepting the truth. And it's hard when you have to rewind, you know, sometimes all the way back to childhood and really understand what has happened and why. You know, um, like for me, no one wants to think there's unhealthy patterns or dysfunction or things like that in your family. No one wants to think that. But... If you really, really want to live a healthy life, you have to come to terms with the truth. And sometimes that truth is very painful. And, and, and even me, accepting that I, I made some mistakes. And, um, you know, if, if I wasn't able to accept that, I want to tell one, one beautiful story. I've been estranged from my sister for eight years. I said, this, yeah. this ruined relationship. Okay, I eight years. She read this book, and I actually brought it to her and said, I, I, I want you to read it. We have now been talking for five months. And you know what my sister said? She said, I own every that? word. I own every word you wrote about me. I am so sorry, and I never saw life through your eyes. And I just think that's a testament to everyone of my sister accepted the truth, as painful as it was. This, this is a story of family falling apart and turning on each other and blaming each other. And, and, and that's what I hope for other people, that they can read it and they can just, it's never too late to forgive. For your well-being, and, yeah. and most of the times we don't understand that, but it is for your own well-being. It's not for the other person. Oh, the other is. person gonna be just fine. But forgive you, forgive yourself, too. Forgive yourself, and that's the first step. I believe, Jody, you have taken. You forgave yourself, and and all else is forgiven. Um, now you you say keeping family secrets is one of the biggest factors in family trauma. What do you say to people about their maintaining silence out of shame, embarrassment, or fear of rejection? Oh. I talk about this a lot because I say you think you're keeping all this stuff a secret, and especially from little children, mm-hmm. but you're not because I was that five- yeah. and six-year-old little girl once, and we are witnessing and everything. But, yes. but what, right? And, and what you're allowing is our little five- and six-year-old minds to interpret and analyze and figure out what this means. And a lot of times, those aren't healthy when we grow into adults. You, we need to start talking to children about, especially if it runs in our family. If it runs in your family, you start talking immediately with children about mental illness and anxiety and depression or if bipolar runs in your family and if addiction runs in your family. So that you can, when you become a teenager, if you start feeling some things, those Teenagers will be able to know what it means and then say something to their parents. And it is, you know, we, we teach don't do drugs and things like that to teenagers. That's way too late, way too late. And we need to start also teaching to respect alcohol because it is just as deadly. Great advice, Jody. Nothing to take, nothing to take for granted. It could be ending up in the in the life and death situation. Before we actually finish, I would like to know how can we get society and healthcare workers to 
be less judgmental and more compassionate with addicts or people with mental illness in their families. How can we uh, eliminate the stigma? Well, I know, because I talk about that as well, of, you know, that shame and stigma, it is in the hospital when we go there, and it is in the media. And like I said, it's even in our own families. I think talking and bringing attention to this, it it does make people step back. And, you know, I, I've spoken about you watch on late night TV and they're making fun of, of Rob Ford when he had alcoholism and he was struggling. And, you know, why is that okay? What if they were on TV making fun of, of cancer or Alzheimer's? And I just, I just hope by talking we're, we're making people realize that it is a disease and, and just to change behavior. But, again, going back to talking to young children, if we talk to our young children, they're going to grow up to be better journalists and doctors and nurses and reporters and better people and better moms and dads and better friends. And so I think if we do that, then we're going to see a real change in the world. We sure will. But it's gonna have to it's gonna take it's gonna take some powerful people and you can't give up on that person whenever they feel like it's a resistance. Remember this resistance only makes you and them stronger and you have to actually keep pushing towards it. Um, Jody, I, I know I said it was the last question, but I if you had if you had to do it over again today, how would you handle things differently? From the very beginning, from day one, I would get help for myself first, myself, and encourage my whole family, the whole core that surrounded my brother, to sit in a room and to be honest. And, you know, I I wish that that, if we could do it in a perfect world, that that therapist or person helping would say, has anything ever happened in this life with with your family that could have maybe made this happen with your brother. And, and it was trauma and childhood and, and things I think could have been much, much different, but it would have taken our whole family to have to find the courage to speak the truth. And, um, you know, as long as families are are hiding in shame, it, um, it just doesn't happen. It does, and Jody, I appreciate you for coming on today and sharing, sharing this memoir with us. And I hope, dear, that someone takes this in and don't let it go unrecognized if someone is out there going through this. Remember, you can get Jody's book, The Sun is Gone, A Sister Lost in Secret, Shame and Addiction, How I Broke Free from Amazon for eighteen ninety five. Visit her website, Jody Prowse, www.jody, J-O-D-E-E, Prowse. P-R-O-U-S-E dot com. And Jody is on all social networks, but more likely definitely her website. Check it out and don't forget the Amazon book. For my friend, Mary Ellen Signovich, the truth of the day is this. Guilt is egocentric. Guilt comes from our ego mind and it's a person's unconscious attempt to gain power, becoming totally indestructible or controlling. When you feel guilty, it is usually because you were somewhere doing one thing when you are supposed to be doing something else. The guilty person selfish yet has enormous tendency to blame others for his errors. Guilt prevents you from living, and it prevents you from looking at yourself honestly. Of course, if you have committed an error in judgment, you should take responsibility and make amends. It is one thing to blame yourself and quite another to be guilty for what someone else has done. You should never blame yourself for not fulfilling another person's needs unless it's something you did purposely. Today, free yourself from the person, from the prison of guilt. Enjoy the day, everyone. This is the Bright Side with Technicia, and I thank you for listening. God. Thanks for listening to the Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com.
the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.